This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Hey Thrivers, hope you're staying healthy and well. A lot of social media outlets and content creators have been showing off resources to the late COVID-19 pandemic. Here's my take on everything. Do the five. One, wash your hands. Two, cough into your elbow. Three, don't touch your face. Four, stay six feet away from others. Five, if you feel ill, stay home. Otherwise, I don't have any other clever resources for you. I won't pretend to have answers, nor will I sensationalize the situation as so many are doing. What I will do is take advantage of the opportunity to be my best self. I've been running a lot more. I've been eating better. A lot of tofu. I've been being nice to myself, taking breaks when I need to, taking naps, playing video games, working on side projects, spending time with my girlfriend. I've minimized and maximized my social life at the same time. And yes, Zoom calls are not the same as being social, but nothing beats a virus like staying happy and safe at the same time. That's all I'm going to say. My challenge to you is this. Be optimistic. It is too easy, dare I say, a lazy mindset to look at the gloom and take it as 2020's defining feature. Don't do that. There's more. This is an opportunity not a meltdown. Treat yourselves well and stay thriving. Let's lower the curve in the stats and widen the curve on your smile. Let's spread positive health and growth to its full potential. Speaking of health and growth, we'd like to thank the Consciousness Network for sponsoring today's episode. The Consciousness Network has an outstanding record for improving the quality of life for thousands of people at a time with their mission. To spread awareness, compassion, service, community, well-being, and environmental sustainability. With the goal of creating healthier, more harmonious, and just communities, I've left events feeling more enlightened than ever before. One program I'm particularly excited for is with Dr. Michael Beckwith, speaking on what it takes to create an abundant and inspired life. Find out more on thecn.org. That is thecn.org. Thanks, and enjoy the show. You have stumbled upon Mr. Thrive's Stars of Tomorrow, where together we will discover emerging artists. The screens, and I'm Neil Watts. Neil, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, welcome too. How are you doing today? Really good, thank you. It's a big difference in time from me to you. It's, uh, it's five o'clock in the afternoon here in Spain. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of which, you're my first international interview, and I'm very, very excited. This is a huge privilege and an honor. Uh, so this is great. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm flattered. Yeah. Well, how, I meant to ask you, how did you get to Spain being a man of the queen? So I think I was halfway through. I, my background is from film and television music. And I had a studio in my house just outside London. And every day I'd have to write bits and pieces. And I think this was a particularly wet summer, very wet summer. And I'm sitting in the studio, looking out the window, trying to get inspiration for some positive piece of music, uplifting kind of track. And all I can see is traffic and grey clouds. And, and it's been going on for days and weeks and months, as is English weather, as, as it's famous all over the world. So I said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, look, this is no good. I can't work like this. It's supposed to be a creative job. And this is just so depressing. So that night I, uh, I went on the internet. I found an apartment overlooking a golf course right on the Costa del Sol in Spain and within a week we'd flown out and we'd put a deposit down and then within two months we'd moved out there so it was purely weather driven just the fact that the rain is so depressing 
Gotcha. And so that, I mean, the rain really takes a, takes a toll on you is what it sounds like. Well, I think it takes a toll on everyone. Listen, you, you know, you're from California, so you, you know all about sunshine and kind of the positive effect. That's why people from, from California are so up and happy. Right. And the people from are so miserable and depressed. Well, you know, you know, we are very familiar with out here in California is the traffic. Because my God, yeah. when, when, it, when the world is not in quarantine, traffic is a nightmare. I'm pretty sure the, the 405 are the three real numbers for the devil, not 666. Do you know what we've noticed in, in Spain? I guess it's happening all over the world without getting too hippie about this. So uh, where we are, we overlook the sea where the studio is here in Spain. And every morning you go outside now, you can't hear any cars. But what you can hear is an abundance of birds. Bird song in the morning, bird song at night. The planet is cleaning itself with all these cars staying off the road. I imagine there's a, a lot less angry husbands and wives rowing about stuff just because of too much traffic. Yeah. It's, a, it's a much place to be living in. If you take the virus away, please God, they can. No traffic is, is a wonderful thing. It is. We suddenly have cleaner airs than ever before. And, and it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it, it does sound like a real but it's something that you know i guess you and i have never grown up in a society where there isn't way too many cars way too many airplanes way too many trains way too much movement so this is a novelty this is winding the clock back maybe 80 years i guess yeah no it's it's really interesting and i really wonder for all the the cleaning up the planet and, and the and the and the effort to to make the world green i wonder how much this really helps us like what kind of uh progress will this really do for the world you know, with climate change and whatnot. Um, Did you, there was this great picture I saw. Hey, listen, every picture on social media could be fake. I'm sure that most of them are. But I saw this brilliant picture. And if it wasn't fake, it's amazing. And if it is fake, it sends out the most positive message. And it was of the canals in Venice. And the, I've been to Venice a couple of times and they're just brown. There's nothing romantic about a Venice canal. It's brown. It looks like, it looks like a, a very large sewer. And yet, they're starting to clean. The water appears to be clearing. And if that's fact, then that's amazing. If the place, if you can visibly see an impact on, on less traffic, then you need no other sign. Your eyes tell you everything you need to know, right? Yeah, that's, that's actually really interesting. I've been to Venice once uh, when I traveled Europe in 2017. Um, wow. And, I, and I, I fell in love with, with Venice, uh, believe it or not. But I, I, could, I could see what you're saying about the waters being a little more murky than normal. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's really remarkable how much less traffic is, is doing to the world. And and maybe we can now point a finger more clearly at what we need to do to help solve climate change and the issue in this world, you know? This quarantine maybe, works in very funny ways. Yeah, it, it is. and maybe, you know, maybe there's a percentage of the population of the planet that don't think about it. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you and I fall into the same category when we're busy doing our bits and pieces and what have you. And it's not something that is brought to our day to day attention. We're, you know, people that are out and about doing things are always busy that you know, point A to point B and getting the jobs done is really important. And maybe this is making all kinds of people that would never otherwise think about it actually stop and see it and feel it a bit and work it out. and Go, You know what? there's a lot of benefits to a cleaner planet that hadn't even been on our radar before any of this happened. So if you could take positives out of tremendous negatives, uh, then maybe that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I actually interviewed yesterday um, a dancer named Selena Lobato. And like one thing we talked about was how to turn 
this quarantine, this pandemic into as many opportunities as possible. That's really been the biggest challenge in this entire experience. And it's so interesting to me. It's, 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 it's really been a very cathartic experience going through this entire thing, seeing how the world is reacting from your window, from your inside your house, your home, and just watching the days pass and wondering what's going to happen tomorrow, you know? And I'm not saying what's going to happen tomorrow out of fear. I'm actually particularly not very afraid, but I just find this all so interesting, you know? I hope to God I never experience a pandemic ever again. It's just, it, you got to admit, it's a very interesting time. Well, here's an interesting kind of parallel. So at the end of the Second World War, the UK, the, the UK, believe it or not, and you as an American, you'll find this incredibly funny and ironic. So there was a massive positivity at the time in the UK as a consequence of something so terrible in the world happening, a world war. The, the, this pandemic, in a sense... It's by no means the same. I wouldn't wish to draw any parallels between anything like that. But by the same token, it's got the world's attention. It hasn't got a country's attention. When you get an epidemic in Asia, then, you know, the countries that are directly concerned, they feel it. This is a pandemic, so it affects the world. And it's got everybody's attention. There's a massive fear factor. I'm not saying it's overriding, but there's a lot of people that are aware of the potential of what could happen that would be scared. And yet somehow, like at the end of the Second World War, huge positivity, positivity reigns where people realise what it's like to be safe all of a sudden and not worrying about whether or not a plane's going to fly over and drop a bomb. In the same way, we're kind of, well, in a similar way, when we come out of this, which is a when, it's not a, you know, an if, it's a when, uh, those of us that survive it will realise how lucky we've been to survive it and not take everything for granted, not take, you know, a hundred cable channels for granted. And the fact that we've got a brand new Mercedes on the driveway, that there's always food in the cupboard that we can go on holiday to the Caribbean, all those things that we kind of take for granted. Perhaps our society may realize that materialism is, is a, a bit of an evil really. And that we should just be grateful that we have our health and we have a family. And that in itself is, is an amazing, amazing thing to have. I think opportunity wise, I think young people will grab the opportunities that will arise. They'll see those opportunities in the world uh, and they'll see, yeah, they'll see a future. They'll have to see a future because, you know, some guy coming out of university or college has to make his way in life. And um, whereas maybe, you know, it may defeat the older generations that look at it as a negative, maybe the young people will look at this and go, hey, this inspires me to do this. There's a great opportunity we can do this. Maybe some people will maybe to monetize the fact that, that you know, um, cleaning up the planet is actually an amazing thing and it will create longevity and a healthier lifestyle for so many people that are beginning their journeys in the world. I, I love that attitude. I think you have an amazing amazing mindset when it comes to this because a lot of people aren't able to see the broader the broader picture of all this i wanted to ask you a question that i've actually been asking a lot of my friends lately um kind of a fun little thing that makes us all kind of fantasize the way that a prisoner would fantasize if they're imprisoned but what is the first thing you're going to do when the quarantine is lifted gotta go and see the food fighters <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good one yeah i just I just um, you know, I um, I've been, so been on my list of things to do, and I just, I, I I fell in love with just a few of their songs actually, but but years ago, and I remember you know just sitting in the studio and just forever picking up Dave Grohl riffs, and I think the Pretender's my favourite. I mean, it is because you could just riff out on it, and they've been 
just been so close to me so many times, you know, in Leeds, they were playing, in Reading, they were playing just last summer. And I just didn't get round to it. I think well, we, we were in the middle of recording and I could have taken a break and just gone, you know what, I'm going to pop down and just see them. Uh, his two and a half hour shows uh, are infamous all over the world. And I didn't get round to doing it. And I thought to myself, oh my God, now we find ourselves in a pandemic. And through just sheer laziness and distraction, I didn't do it. And I think, I think it doesn't need to be flying to the moon. That's the first thing you're going to do when you leave your quarantine. But it certainly does mean that you must address things on a daily basis and never put off anything that you can do. That that cliche that, you know, our parents drummed into us, never put off today. You know, we could do tomorrow. Do it today. Get it done. And, and I think, uh, yeah, Foo Fighters, right up the front in the mosh pit. Oh, that's great. I love that. I love that. I've been I've been telling people that I just imagine going on a giant pub crawl. I just want to really? I just want to have social intoxicated happiness again you know <laughs> but, but but where you are do you have sort of pubs that you can do because you can't do a walk crawl surely what do you mean sure we can really yeah, yeah there's different areas in los angeles that are have enough bars near each other where you just walk a couple of blocks and you get to another pub oh okay in, in england because it's smaller you go next door right yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> You guys can do it longer because you've got time for your head to clear. Maybe one or two blocks, your head's going to clear. Whereas ours, we, we, we're in trouble. There's, I remember counting it on. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with London, but um, there's a road that comes in from the east of London into the city, and it's called the A12 or the Eastern Avenue. It's called, and it's famous for various things. But one thing in particular is a pub called the Blind Beggar which is, was, as legend has it, the craze killed, uh, I think it, was, it wasn't it was Jack Hatmavitti, I think it was, it was a, it's a major thing that they murdered somebody in this pub. And the pub is now a tourist place of, of all the pubs that used to be along that road. And I think there was 52 pubs at one point on that one road. Uh, that one still survives. But wow. yes, that would, that would be your ultimate pub crawl. Should you choose to accept my challenge, it's go for the East, the Eastern Avenue in London. 52 pubs. I would love to take that challenge. I'd love to take that challenge with you. That sounds great. Why don't we meet in the middle? I'll start one end, you start the other. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> no, I mean, the closest thing I ever experienced to that, that, that kind of a bar scene is in um, San Francisco when I went to school there. Uh, they, oh. have, they have a street called Polk Street. Polk Street uh-huh. is a big pub call street. Everyone goes down. It's great. But yeah, um, San Francisco, that's it's so on. We've got um, a big birthday coming up soon for my wife, and we plan to grab an RV and do some driving around. She's a massive Prince fan, so she wanted to do Paisley Park and all that. But we thought we'd just extend the trip and just keep driving. But but San Francisco, we thought we'd end up in LA, but but San Francisco would be great to go to. But San Francisco is beautiful in its culture. I I find its culture so much more multifaceted than Los Angeles is. That's the one thing I think that Los Angeles really does lack is uh, the culture and also the community building aspect. Because in, in San Francisco, they really do make it a point to, to show that the community is engaged and together. It's really great. Yeah, it's still on my list, so I must, I still want to check it out. There's so, America's so far sort of culturally diverse because of the size of it, I guess, com- compared to somewhere like England, where, I mean, we have cultural diversity, but it's more, 
it's regionalist as opposed to kind of culturalist, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that that completely makes sense. Have you ever heard of the uh, Have you ever heard of the comedian Daniel Sloss? No. I just watched him the other day. He's a comedian. You can watch his uh, specials on Netflix. But he was okay. saying he was making a joke about like how everyone's uh, racist in their own way. But America was smart because they put all one type of racist in one state and another type of racist in another state. I thought that was just so funny. And he went on this whole rant about it. It was great. That's ironic. That's very funny. Actually. Yeah, somehow I think that's quite true. Yeah, I can see that. So yes, America is very diverse. I watched, uh, I think it was, it's, it's on Netflix. It was called uh, Godfather of Harlem. It's about Bumpy Johnson. And um, have you seen it or not? I've seen I've seen the the billboards for it. I actually didn't see a trailer or or any episodes of it. It's great and it's so good. And there's um, I will let you know. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin it for you. But but there's uh, there's a guy uh, I forget the the, the guy's name. Pat as Powell, and he's with Malcolm X, and they're going to some particular rally, and they meet um, another a white leader. And basically, he just says exactly what you just said. He said, we're both racists. We're just from different towns. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very, and it never crossed my mind before. But I thought, you know what? It's kind of, that's very interesting. It's something that doesn't exist in the UK at all. But right. yeah, I, I saw it, I found it quite interesting. But it's a great series, by the way. It really is good. Forrest Whitaker is amazing in it. I love that actor. He, Forrest Whitaker is, is so talented. And I, I wish I saw him in more stuff nowadays. I would love to talk with you about the album. Okay. Uh, What's your album called? It's called The Boy Who Waved at Trains. It's our second album. Our first one was called Wakes, Weddings and Bar Mitzvahs. And yeah, this is the second one. We started work on this at the beginning of last year. And we had the title way before we even wrote the first note. Well, I mean, that's, that's that's a pretty unique approach, isn't it? Yeah. The last, the first album, Wakes, weddings, and bar mitzvahs. We were we were not days. That's kind of an exaggeration. We were weeks away from release, and we still didn't have a title. And the reason we didn't have a title for that one, and that we have a title for this one in advance, is really really simple. And it's something that uh, it's something that kind of a penny drop moment for me, a eureka moment. With the first album, we started off writing songs with no real specific point to them at all. We were, it was, it was music-based. We kind of liked the sound of the music, the orchestrations. We got heavily into bands like the Zombies, uh, orchestrations by people like John Barry. We were listening to, yeah, we were listening to things like the Thunderbirds theme, Joe 90 theme, all these um, animation things from, from, you know, kids TV back in the 60s and 70s. And so we really got into that whole 60s surf sound. So we were writing music and the lyrics were a secondary part of, of the, the project. So consequently, there was no real lyrical directive for the album. So that's why we didn't have a title. Whereas with this second album, the one we just released, The Boy Who Waved at Trains, we had a story that we were going to tell and which... This, this this new album isn't about 11 pieces of separate music it's it's 11 chapters of the same story and the story uh it's like a, a euphemism which is the the boy who waved the trains uh, uh, is is the boy in our story so that's why the title was was so easy because the story was already in place before we wrote the first notes i love that and it sounds like you you kind of been sitting on the story for quite some time haven't you we 
yeah, the, if I, I'll give you a bit of a, a background behind the story and then you'll understand completely why we had the, the, the title. So we, we wanted to make a second album, but we weren't 100% sure whether or not there was a market to do it. So we, we went about it doing a Kickstarter campaign. So we invited all the people that bought the first album. We said, look, you know, we don't want to make a second album. I think uh, when, when you make an album and it's your first album as a band, it's you announcing to the world who you are. You're putting your business card on the table. You go, hi, this is us. This is what we do. If you like us, give us a call. Uh, and so a certain amount of people bought the album, which was great. But, but when we came to make the second album, the singer is Colin. Uh, you know, I'm the guitarist and the co-writer, Neil. Uh, we decided that we weren't going to... We call them vanity projects, where, where bands sometimes make an album not for an audience, but they just make it for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that at all. But for ourselves personally, we didn't want to make an album as a pure indulgence for ourselves. Because A, it's a waste of time. There's a million and one other things that you could be doing. We thought we'd want to make it with and for an audience that wanted so that was why we did the kickstarter campaign and unfortunately enough there was enough people that wanted the, the new album they pre-ordered it a year in advance to us you know even being able to finish it so that's one of the criteria behind this album but the story getting back to the story behind it around the time we were thinking about making the second album we as i said we clearly said it must have a point to it there must be a story that we want to tell because that's the justification, as well as having an audience, we want to tell a story that our audience can can go on the journey of the story with us and go, oh, that's an interesting project that they've done. Uh, a good friend of ours was just about to go to university. Um, and so that would mean staying from home. And he decided it was the right time to talk to his parents and come out as gay to them. And he was fully hoping that you know, he'd be away for maybe three months at the first term. It would give his parents time to adjust to the fact that they had a gay son, uh, which would have been completely out of the blue. And so when he would have come back from university for Christmas, they would have got used to the idea if they needed to. Uh, and it would all be kind of, everybody would have a clarity of thought, time to, to get their heads in, in check. But they didn't. They, they rejected him. And the dad in particular, he... It was such an archaic, old-fashioned mentality. His dad reacted with the, no son of mine can be gay. All that just, you know, backcountry mentality. And so uh, our friend, he, um, it became too much for him. And he, he tried to commit suicide three or four times. And eventually he, was in, he ended up being sectioned under Mental Health Act. And so if we were looking for a story to tell, it really drew us to the fact that we're in 2019 uh homosexuality in england has been decriminalized since like 1967 i think so we're talking 50 years of so-called decriminalization and we've got a father talking to his son like he's just you know committed the most appalling crime so if we needed to to send a message to say this is this is wrong this is backward in 50 years certain people haven't moved forward so so that was the album for us it was a really we took a real story and we turned it into a fictitious story so you know the screens is very 60s sounding as a band we retain that in our sound that's that's always our influences so we decided 
like we were talking earlier about post-war London, when it was a really optimistic place, we decided to start our story, post-war East London, and our character was born into this family, and at the age of 15, he decides to come out to his family, and they basically, you know, they throw him, they throw him under the bus, and throw him out of his house, and he's forced onto the streets of London to grow up in a CD world basically uh, in the west end of london which was was home for the porn industry the sex industry uh, male prostitution drugs so that's the beginnings of our story so it's really it's really easy to tell a story when it could quite easily be true it's it sounds like it really paints a picture to a really dynamic world that we're very familiar with i said yet somehow that, that that we could be telling that story 50 years on just seems insane right you yeah. would have thought people would have got over themselves by now. Right, right. Yeah, you would think, you would think. But, you know, I think we, human beings have a habit of holding on to traditions and that leads to fear, honestly. But, do you know, here's interesting. So we go back to what we're talking about now with the pandemic. So that the, the haves and the have not society we're seeing in this country, which is great to be honest, or in the UK, begging your pardon, and in Spain as well, we're seeing a lot of people that have helping those that have not. People that, you know, that I don't know about in the States, but the airline industry in Europe has ground to a halt. So there's loads of cabin crew that aren't working. Um, and they're working now because they have free time. They're working in hospitals, helping out the health service, dropping off meals, uh, just just helping and and it's showing a really nice side of society and yet somehow our story that we're telling of uh, in you know 50 years later that people are still holding prejudice against somebody for their sexuality it it undoes all the moral good that those people that are helping people out in hospitals now you think they're great people what's so wrong with somebody not conforming to the same sexuality as yourself what's the big deal and for it to be a parent doing that to their child, I, I, I don't get it. You know, if I have a son that turns out gay, we'd embrace it. You know, we'd absolutely embrace it. I, I just don't get it. But there we go. Maybe that's me. I hope it's all of us. But sadly, it's not. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I personally don't get it either. I think one of the, one of the most appalling things that like, like dawned on me when I, going back to San Francisco and I lived there, that's when I was living there. Uh, when they legalized uh, gay marriage here in the U.S. <clears throat> and that was a really moving experience. Uh, that was really beautiful. Um, and I was actually in the gay district of San Francisco when that happened. And I was like, wow, that was a really powerful experience, right? But when, <clears throat> when, I, when I thought about it, and I thought about all these different rights, I thought to myself, wait a second, this has not been an issue just, you know, today. This has been an issue for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then we think about all of the people who were actually homosexual, who had to repress who they are and what they felt and, and had to you know, either marry someone, basically distort themselves in a way that no one else would ever understand them. And this has been happening for hundreds of years. So Anne Goering, the, the code breaker for the UK uh, during the First World War, so that he basically, he was, he was pivotal uh, in breaking the messages that the Germans were sending by, by you know, translating the coded messages, uh, he was he was uh, gay. Yes, he and, was. And I think I think he was barely he was maybe fifty two, fifty three when when he'd already been um, 
he he had this thing which I, I only you know in researching the album he had to be chemically castrated which was the thing that they did at the time all face going to prison so he'd been he'd been arrested for a lewd act of homosexuality and the option was imprisonment or chemical castration i mean where are you going with that and then consequently you know a couple of years later he committed suicide so he saved millions of lives through his genius uh and yet somehow came out the other side of the war as a criminal i don't where's where how is society kind of it's the world we live in unfortunately you know i believe that the world exists on prejudice it's a school it's a school playground mentality that the masses have to find a weaker one there's kind of the law law of the the, the the jungle the wild where the leopard pulls off the wildebeest from the back the slowest one that can't keep up with the pack and it just seems that as society we brutalize the weak and and prejudice is that you know so that if you think in numbers right if, if you think if there's numbers, so let's say the statistic is i don't know exactly what it is and it varies from country to country obviously but let's say one in ten people men will go men is gay so the the remaining nine are the majority so the majority right or wrong choose to impose their superiority in numbers on the weaker one and i and i think once we come to terms with accepting gay rights all over the world sadly people will find something else to prejudice against yeah that's very that's true terrifying well i mean I, have you ever heard of uh the museum of tolerance no the museum of tolerance it's, it's a it's a museum out here in los angeles it's a museum on uh you know one of its one of its primary uh one of its primary showings is um, about the Holocaust, but it also shows about uh, the journey of, of uh, you know, different immigrations, especially in the Jewish uh, world, ab about that, you know, and, and they talk about that. Like, I think there was a quote somewhere in there saying, well, if the Nazis, had, if, the, if the Nazis achieved what they were trying to do and there truly were no more Jews in the world, they'd find someone new to hate. And then, Completely. Uh, yeah, but then there's also that poem. They first came after the Jews, but that wasn't me, so I didn't help them right and then they went after the irish that that was yeah. me so i didn't help them and it goes on talking about all these different people and then finally they say and then they came after me and i needed help and i looked around and there was no one else to help me yeah that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant it, it, it kaleidoscope like that it was a really beautiful poem if you're anybody who who you know who who has sympathy for for oppression you need to stand up for it that's really how it goes what it goes down is that a, is that the moral of the story with 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 your with your album yeah it totally is and and see with the first album we picked up a a really big mod following you know in, in the 60s bands like you know the who um small faces um basically part of the, the british invasion even even the rolling stones there was a, a blues uh, and a mod following behind those bands and because the screens on the first album has a you know a, a real 60s mod feel to it we picked up a massive mod following now mod in the uk um is is a fashion culture it's um it's a lifestyle culture so mods in the 60s rode these scooters lambert and vespa scooters with loads of mirrors on them uh fishtail parkers tonic suits italian suits you know it was it wasn't specifically, but it was largely, largely, majority-wise, 
uh, white, white kids, working class kids, looking sharp in suits and what have you. We thought, because we have that following, uh, Colin uh, and myself, both heterosexual, but we thought it will be great to take this message and challenge our audience that we already have or to, to make them question where their, where their beliefs are, what they feel about um, sexualism and whether or not they think, you know, uh, gay rights is right, that sort of stuff. So we, we, we thought it was interesting and we knew that because the screens is essentially two guys, for those people that didn't know the screens, they would go, oh, it's two gay guys and they're just waving a flag and making a fuss over nothing. Blah, 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 blah. And so it felt even more personal for us to go, actually, no, more, no hang on, we're not, we're, we're heterosexual, but we believe so strongly in this message. So we desperately want to address this to a heterosexual community that otherwise wouldn't be interested perhaps in that message. They're just interested in listening to the album. So what it does is we thought for if anybody that was blinkered, like the father of our friend who was going to university, but they like our band, it causes them, it challenges them to then make a decision to say, well, I really like the screens, but I'm really not into this gay message thing. So what do I do? Do I like the music? Do I not like the music? So we thought, and if it were a gay band making the album, people would expect perhaps there to be a message. For it to be a heterosexual band doing it, we just thought it gave it a little bit more edge for us to, to send that message to an audience that might not expect that message. So we thought it, was, it would be challenging our audience on a moral level. I love that. I love that. What, what, is, what is one way that you, that you challenge them with this album? As I said, so the mod community that we have, I don't know whether or not, there doesn't seem to be, from, from my social study of the mod community, it doesn't seem to exhibit any symptoms of supporting gay rights. There isn't any, I haven't seen, the, the, the big kind of emblem of mod music in the UK is the Air Force sign, the Union Jack, the Fishtail Parker, the Italian suits. There isn't, I've yet to see, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, what I'm saying is I've yet to see any correlation between the mod culture and the support of the LGBT community. So, so because it doesn't exist there, that's why we thought we might be challenging what currently exists by, by us introducing a, a, an LGBT supportive message. Perhaps we are challenging. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we're not, but, but we certainly haven't seen, any other acts within the mod music community doing it. So that's where we thought perhaps, hopefully, we were challenging. And where can people listen to this music? So the album, well, there's another thing. So the first album is on Spotify, but the sec this album, we decided not to put it on Spotify, uh, and I'll explain why. But so you can hear the album, you, or you can download it from our Bandcamp page, and that's the screens1.bandcamp.com, or you can go to our website and you can get the CD, and it's also on vinyl as well, and that's uh, the screens.org. So that's where you can, you can get it. You can either download it from uh, Bandcamp, or you can buy it on CD and vinyl from uh, the screens.org. Um, the reason it's not on Spotify, I, th I, I think. Spotify is an amazing thing, a great 
a great idea. I mean, when I first started in music, I was in the record industry, so I worked for Zomba Records for a while. And I think Spotify has saved the record industry because it's managed to monetize the industry without really them having to produce anything physically, you know, in terms of kind of vinyl or CD, they're making money just through recordings. So, which was, which takes out the whole manufacturing cost as such. So Spotify is great for the record industry and, and it's set up specifically for huge artists, people like Ed Sheeran, uh, Jay-Z, and that's great, U2, it's amazing for them, but it doesn't support new bands it doesn't you know as much as bands love to make music for the sheer indulgence and the creativeness of it that's all really good but it costs money to make music that's the truth it it, it costs money to paint pictures it create it costs money to put on a theater production uh, and not everyone's going to be appearing on broadway so everything needs a form of monetization and i think spotify doesn't help bands and also you know this is an album, it's 11 songs. Each song is a chapter in the story that we're telling. It, you, you can't take it out of sequence and understand the story. It has to run from track one to track 11. My biggest fear would be that someone would listen to the album and go, I really like track four. I'm gonna put that on my summer hits playlist on Spotify. I, I don't want that. Colin doesn't want that. We don't, we, we don't want kind of people just snapshotting tracks and going, I've just got the iPhone 11. Check out the screens on my new iPhone 11. It, it, for us, I like bands like The Who. I like bands like Led Zeppelin. I like bands that go into a studio and make an album. And the album, it, you know, years ago, they used to call them records, right? When they came out on vinyl. And they called the record a record. because it was, But it isn't a record as a physical thing. It's a record of events. It's that four or five guys go into a studio for four or five months. They've got some loose ideas. They hammer out these ideas. And at the end of the five months, there's 11, 10 or 11 songs, right? It's a record of what happened in that studio at that time with those people. It's a record of events, like it was written down in a book on this date. Five guys went into the studio here and they made this body of work. And years ago, I remember hearing this brilliant story that Led Zeppelin really didn't buy into the single culture. They didn't want singles released. They, don't, they didn't believe in it. They believed in, there's our album. We don't want to release a single. We want you to, to buy the album. So uh, we, we spoke to a label before putting the album out ourselves. And they really liked the whole idea. They liked the concept. They heard a couple of the, 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 the tracks in, in production and they said, right, well, okay, what we'd like to do is we would like to release uh, this song to Spotify and we'll do this. And this is how we will build your following. And we just said, this isn't for us. This really isn't the way we want to do this project. You, you may get us more followers and that's great, but they'll be buying into the band for the wrong reasons. And so for richer, for poorer, we're going to wave a flag and we want people to get into the culture and the experience of feeling an album, picking up an album, of reading a story, of learning about what that band were talking about at that given time. It, and this now, interestingly, just when we're in lockdown, this is the ultimate time to pick up a piece of vinyl or a CD and go on a journey with an artist from way back when they used to make an album and it meant something. It, it was a story that they were telling you. Um, it's like reading, it's like the audio book that we have now, but way back then. 
reading the sleeve notes, finding out why they were doing this, where they were, all this sort of stuff. I don't think the world will ever go back to that. I don't think bands will do what we're doing. I don't think bands will go back into the studio and say, we're going to make this album, it's going to sell. Because sadly, most of it is monetary driven, where a label would want the band to sell as many downloads as possible. But that's really not important to us. It's more important that we do a body of work that a group of people that like the band go, you know what, I'm going to buy the CD, I'm going to buy the vinyl, or download the entire album, uh, because we like the whole story. And here's, just sorry to keep banging on, I, I, once you get me talking, Chaz, I can't stop. What we did oh, with our first album, with our first album, we made quite a few videos ourselves. We made videos, uh, the first video we made uh, for the first single, which was called Avalanche, it was about a gangster, who had a London gangster, who had a very young girlfriend, uh, it's a little bit like The Long Good Friday, the, 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 the Bob Hoskins film. Um, and the young girlfriend is a trophy girlfriend. She's way too young for him. She could be his daughter, but he's a powerful man and he moves in powerful circles. But she falls in love with one of the younger guys that works for him. They have an affair and our Godfather ki- uh, character has them both killed. So we made a video just like that very very heavy a, a video that a, a record label a major label would never let a band make but we were making it it was our budget so we made it um there's no death scenes of, of any extremity but it's a it's a dark video and we, we make most of the videos we made on that first ha- happy upbeat small faces zombies happy song album were quite dark so so we love video and we love the whole expressiveness of it and the freedom to to, to, to make short films but with this album, because the, the story isn't in it, you couldn't summarize any segment of the story with one song. And we knew we couldn't tell a relative, a video wouldn't portray the song. So what we did this time is we decided to write a book of the album. Uh, so the, the, the Boy That Waved the Trains is a real physical story. It's a 120 page novella that we wrote, which will be coming out in May uh, and once again you know it's taken months to do it and I mean months to write a book because neither of us are authors and it's tough it's brutal because you know I don't know if you see any of the email messages I've sent you I make spelling mistakes grammatical mistakes miss out words <laughs> and yet writing a book you have to flow with it so the, it, it probably took I don't know maybe three months to write it and it's taking forever to edit and just go through it and we want to edit it ourselves so so back to the story so <laughs> that whole idea of the album so someone gets involved with the album and they read the story we made a commitment to the topic of this album we believe in it passionately and a hundred percent we believe in, in in wronging the right that exists in the world and we're happy to cont- commit to that story however much we need to and by losing losing sales by spotify royalties by losing you know the sales because we're not getting as many youtube hits on a video don't really care just don't really care it's a message we want people to embrace it that give a damn about the subject and for those people that don't give a damn about the subject they're not going to find it interesting anyway so we're not losing sales there we're not the screens has never been about let's sell a million albums it's been about let's be creative Let's write music. Let's let's just try and do something positive with music. Let's have a message behind it. I love that. I love that. Have you have you uh, talked about this strategy with other musicians? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and they look at us like we're insane. I was about to ask, what's their opinion of it? So they look at you like you're insane, huh? 
yeah it's like it's like the worst idea ever and you know as i said i told you this in there that um so so my background was in writing film and tv music when you know when we bought the the, the property in spain all those, those those years ago and um I've, I've been very lucky in in writing that music I've done very well out of it. So it, it offers me the opportunity, Jed. I wouldn't lie. It's offered me the opportunity to have, to, to be involved with something from a creative perspective and a monetary uh, dynamic being a secondary, tertiary consideration. It's not something that I feel I, I, I'd want to get involved with. And so when you, I talk to other musicians about, you know, we're making this from a creative viewpoint and monetary issues really aren't a concern it doesn't make sense to so many people and you can understand why. And I don't, I don't challenge them on that point because who does things without there being some kind of financial consideration. It's like, it's like going to work on a Monday morning and telling your boss, you don't really want to get paid. No one does that. And yet um, I think the creative industry, I, you know, I talk to my very small children about this maths, science, there's a right and there's a wrong with those subjects. You're either right or you're wrong. There's no mid-ground with maths. The answer is either this and it's right or that and it's wrong. But art is not like that. Art is about something that is is down to interpretation. And so consequently, it's important, and it's really important for me to tell my, my young children this is it's important for them to understand that all creativity must govern itself and not be governed by the by a bottom line profit. And when I um I was in A&R, very, very young, very, very, very young. And I remember I remember going to make an album. I, was, I did some work with, uh, you'll know, obviously, Tom Jones. Um, and I was in charge of, of a recording session. And my boss asked me how much the tracks were going to cost to make. Uh, because the accountant was there. And I had this, this form that I had to fill out. How, much, how many studio hours it would take, how much tape we would use. Her, how many backing singers we've need all these kind of costs and and I remember sitting in this meeting surrounded by accountants saying I haven't got a clue I don't know how much it's going to cost to make a hit record uh and then well, you need to budget because Tom's management need to, to to know these costs because we were accountable and I think that was it was probably three or four days after we had that conversation that I left and walked out because creativity doesn't have a price you can't put a price on what it costs to give Tom Jones a hit record, or anyone for that matter. There's, you can't put a price on what it, it, it would cost, how many hours it would take Picasso to, to paint you know, a, a master's work. It's, it's, when it's done, it's done. And so music falls into that category, and I try and tell my children that. Be creative, have no boundaries to what your creativity will be. And if people don't like it, don't worry about it, just keep going. Because eventually you'll find someone who believes in you, believes in what you're doing. And that's great. And if they don't, that wasn't the reason you did it in the first place. You did it for your own expression. I think the most legendary entrepreneurs, the most legendary musicians, the most legendary inventors were those who swam against dream. And I got to commend you for what you're doing, because even if other musicians are looking at you like you're crazy, I think that there is a lot of merit to what you're saying and your mission, it keeps your mission very authentic and very true. And so I got to, I got to applaud you for that. So, so this is great. I really appreciate that. You know, there's a great quote. It's a great quote. God rest his soul. I'm a massive um, David Bowie fan. Sure. And he was on a TV show 
before he died and they were asking him about his creativity and it's it's a cliche but you know it, every time I, I walk into a studio I'm aware of it and his his process was always work beyond your comfort zone always work in an area where you're uncertain where it's going to take you and uh, and I think that's great I just think that that inspires me every time I go into the studio go, okay I know I know the rudiments here of this instrument I know what I should do I know where the next chord is I know but let's not do that let's just let's just kind of do something different that we don't know where it's going to take us sometimes it will be horrific and we'll scrap it but that's fine we're in no rush and sometimes it will give you something that you look back afterwards and go I have no idea where that came from and the reason you didn't know where it came from is because you didn't know how you did it in the first place and that's got to be such a neat experience to kind of look back and go wow I can't believe I did yeah. that and yeah really. it's inspiring it's definitely inspiring. Something I've got to tell you, Chaz, I've got to tell you this story. You know, the David Bowie thing. So, so um, I, I come from a background where my, my dad was, was in the music industry. He was a manager of bands. And um, so when I was about three years old, he took me to the, <laughs> this is such a mental story. I love telling people because they go, wow, when I tell them this. He took me to the studio with him one day and he was working, he was working with this producer. And this producer is called Tony Visconti. And I'm three years old and we, we, we're going to the studio. I've got no idea who this is. I just love this big studio. And there was a drum kit in the studio. So they sent me off, this three-year-old, to go and just hit the drums, go in the playing area. We're, 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 we're adults, we're talking business. So my dad and Tony Visconti chatting business. And I'm sent off to this drum booth. I'm smashing away on these drums like any three-year-old would do. And then I came back in, I got bored with that after about a minute or two minutes, came sat in the control room. And it was only years later, my mum told me, she went, yeah, you heard Bowie stuff in the control room of a recording studio when you were three years old. And that's, I was, I was about 12 or 13 at the time when she told me that. And my dad had died uh, before then. But um, that inspired me to love Bowie, just to think that, that one of my first most amazing experiences being in the studio was listening to his tracks in the control room even though I had no idea of it but yeah that's why I think even to this day I'm still inspired by that man wow you got a little touch of his magic huh do you know what I, I don't sadly I don't I wish I did but I I I, I heard just I, do you know what? I wish you could just kind of wind the clock back to being in that room now because it would have meant something and at the time to a three-year-old it means nothing right I just I think I was after an ice cream or something like that while all these amazing pieces of music were being played well I still think that's really I still think that's really amazing that you got that opportunity and and you know I, I think it's it's been a very interesting way that it probably affected you in a very interesting way that you weren't ever expecting that's really cool do you know I um yeah I think so I I think you know, I, I don't come from a wealthy family by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I was blessed to have a father who introduced me to something that is my passion. But uh, at the age of five, he came up, he came home with this beaten up old guitar for my fifth birthday. It was an electric guitar from a band that he managed, but it was, it was in a wreck. He gave me that uh, as my birthday present and a little practice amplifier. And a pile of records by like people like Chuck Berry and the Stones and all this sort of stuff. And he said, just play along with these guys and you'll learn everything you need to know about you know, music, rock and roll and what have you. And you'll just, you'll, you'll pick it up. So just sitting from the age of five with a pile of these incredible records that, you know, I still listen to to this day. But um, yeah, and I was, I was blessed to, to, to have gone into the studio 
and to hear Bowie stuff, even though I didn't get it at the time, that's amazing. But just to be brought up in a family surrounded by music is it's a gift. So, so I, you know, I encourage my, my, my children to, to pick any instrument up in the house that they can see, just get involved with it and, and do with it whatever you want. It's not, I mean, I love that. I love that, that motivation. Did I just hear you correctly that you learned all of your music by ear? Yes, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly how I did it. Yeah. So here, okay, this is a really good friend of mine. Do you know, I mean, I mean it's a rhetorical question. The artist Adele. <clears throat> yeah, you know, everyone knows Adele, right? So, so my friend is a guy called Fraser T. Smith. Fraser, Fraser just had two number one albums in the UK here as a producer and writer with an artist called Stormzy and an artist called Dave. But he also co-wrote Set Fire to the Rain and produced it with, with Adele. Oh, right. Um, yeah, of course. So he, so we're really good friends, right? We're really, really good friends. He's, I, I, I learned so much for him, but he, he can play by ear. But we would, we would, we were in a bar somewhere, and um, someone asked if we'd go and do some playing together. So we played. But playing by ear gives you this amazing thing. He said afterwards, I'd, he's a phenomenal guitarist. Jazz. I, I, I can't hold a, a blade to him. He's so amazing. He's a brilliant guitarist, but he can't do that thing where he can guess a chord coming up in a song. So playing by ear allows you to do that, which I didn't realise until you know, a few years ago. You can listen to a piece of music and you know what the next chord is going to be just because harmonically you can hear it. And so, whereas I really struggle sight reading, I'm, I'm not very good at sight reading. Um, it's great to be able to, to sit with, with the guy, the guy that wrote that song and, and call the chords out for him. That was, that's one of my, my happiest moments in my life, I think. <laughs> just to, yeah. It's great. No, but no, it's a, it's it's a really wonderful thing. Yeah, I, 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 that's through my dad. That's through him making me sit down with these records and learn and, and work the chords out. Yeah, so I'm just blessed to have had such a brilliant father. I love that. That's really really cool. That's so cool. And now now what's what's the next step for you? So the screens. Well, um, is is to play live, and we were supposed to be playing live. Um, this year we supposed to this album was supposed to come out we didn't want to come we didn't want to play live with the first album because we wanted to we wanted to get back into the studio and record two albums and then we thought two albums would give us sufficient for a live set and so the timing worked out that this summer we would be doing festivals we'd do a launch party in in march and then we would do festivals throughout the summer um so we got our band together so we were happy with that the coronavirus has changed that for us and every single band around the world that, you know, there's no, there's no festivals, there's no touring. That's all stopped. Um, and rightly so it has to stop. Yep. So that's changed the idea for this summer. We can't do anything about that. What we are planning on doing, um, is we need a little bit of a break from recording. It, it gets draining and it's been a very, very time inducive album. So we need a little bit of a break, but then, I think, depending on what happens with the coronavirus, we probably will do a live recording of the album at Abbey Road in um, November, please God. So we'll have an invited audience. I think Studio Two, where the Beatles did all their recording, holds about, about 100 people maximum. So we'll do like an invited audience live show in Studio Two at Abbey Road, um, hopefully November. It's not confirmed yet, obviously. Nothing's confirmed at this moment in anywhere in the world but yeah, so that that's the plan and then we'll look to start writing and recording in 2021 for the the, the um another studio album um Amazing. but please god, please god we can go out on the road as well 
as soon as possible. We desperately want to do that. We were also supposed to go to play in Tokyo, but that's not happening as well. It was just a one-off show this summer. But um, yeah, we just, you know, the, um, somebody asked me this the other day about um, recording an album. And there's this thing that when you record an album, you get a part wrong, you go again. You get a part wrong, you can go again. It's take 84 sometimes before you're really happy with what you've just done. You don't get that opportunity when you're live. So, you you know, you get that massive adrenaline buzz before you go on stage. You're petrified. I think you're petrified wherever you're playing, whether it be Wembley Stadium or a local kind of kids club. It makes no difference. You're going to be nervous. Most musicians are. But um, so, so yeah, so we want to go out on the road and do that. And so for, by not having it this summer, that was just that was that was it was a real kind of disappointment for us. So the, the opportunity to, to, to go and play live is something that we desperately want to do. So hopefully, please God, the world heals, everyone's safe and we can get out in 2021 and, and play play live again. Well, I think that's I think that's such a great goal. And I I I really hope I get to one day to witness one of your shows live and to get you to get to meet you in person too. Um, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I would love that. I would absolutely adore that. Actually, fun fact, you're the first per guest on my show who I haven't had the chance to meet in person yet. This has been a really uh, awesome just experience for me. I, this was a, a bit of an ex experiment for me. So thank you for being such a great guest. I really appreciate it. Oh, come on. Thank you. This is, this, I've been looking forward to this all day. I mean, I'm really, <laughs> genuinely really looking forward to this all day. Just nice to kind of talk to you. We're, you know, we're thousands of miles apart, and yet we both share the as the world, we all share one issue at the moment. And yet, you know, we, we get the benefit, right, to talk about music, to talk about culture. And yeah, just to join across a very big stretch of land. So it's been, it's been my absolute privilege to talk to you and to talk to you about something that, that I'm passionate about. And for you to show interest in that is, is amazing. So thank you. No, no, thank you. And if someone on the other end right now listening wanted to able to reach out or to, to get more in tune with your music what's the best way to contact you so we have a facebook page uh which is the screens one uh you can get us on instagram which is um at the double underscore screens or you can just you can message us at the screens.org and most musicians we're on socials all the time so yeah please reach out please you know if, if you want to ask us any questions about the band or you want to hear more music or you got suggestions anything you know we've, i think one of the things that's changing for bands for music for the better as a consequence of social media is that that fans and bands can interact in a way they never possibly could before and that is amazing the screens.org if you want to ask us anything at all by all means, reach out. We're, we're more than happy to talk to people. In fact, we embrace it. All of that information will be displayed in the description below. And finally, Neil, to ask you the question I ask everybody on my podcast, what will you be famous for? I'm already famous in my house. I believe in fairness. I'm a Libran. I believe in balance. Uh, and I think if I see any kind of injustice in this world if i see somebody being picked upon by whatever i don't like that so if i'm famous for being the guy that saw the fair side of everything and said if people said you know what he always kind of stood up for the right side and made sure that we walk forward you know on a level basis that would that would make me the happiest man in the world neil watson ladies and gentlemen thank you so much neil you're you are incredible thank you so much I absolutely love this. I can't wait to tell all my friends about your podcast. 
If you've listened this far into the episode, it must mean you're a thriver. A great way to support my show is to follow my socials. You can follow my Instagram, at Mr. Thrive, like the Facebook page, Mr. Thrive Media, and be sure to check out my website at www.mrthrive.com to learn more about the Thriver experience. Thanks for listening.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.